Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast, sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, a host. Uh, later in the podcast, we're talking to Dominic Williams, who is an Executive Director of the Daily Mail, Metro Newspapers. He's talking about recent changes there. But before that, we're delighted to be joined by Richard Reeves, Managing Director of the Association of Online Publishing, the trade body for digital publishing companies. Uh, thanks a million for joining me, Richard. Loads to go through. First up, can we just get a bit of a, an overview of the AOP, what its remit is, who are its members and where the funding comes from? Yes, indeed. Um, hello, John. Um, yeah, AOP was founded in 2002, um, originally existed within the confines of the PPA, actually, but um, it was set up to represent the interests of premium publishers um, with regards to their online um, proposition, sure. um, and it, it was founded on that premise, and to this day... Our, our job is to continue to represent the interests of original quality content creators um, in an online world. Okay, so in terms of members, you've got a bit of a mix of uh, what I would call traditional news brands like The Guardian, Telegraph, and then you've got like the newer digital pure plays like BuzzFeed and Huffington Post, have you? We've got, we've got a very diverse membership in that, yes, as you rightly state, um, and given, uh, given the origins of the AOP, naturally uh, a large proportion of our membership is based on organisations that we would know as traditional or heritage publishers. Sure. But within that we also have broadcasters. Um, um, we also have, for example, within that Global Radio and BBC, we have TV organisations. And as you suggest, we have uh, a number of pure plays as well. But um, very specifically, the organisations that we represent um, are creators of original content. So hypothetically, if I was a publisher, why, why would I join it? What's the benefit for me for joining? I'd like to think that we can connect you to all the relevant conversations that publishers are having, that collectively we represent and can do the heavy lifting on behalf of our uh, collective membership around issues that affect everybody. And where appropriate, um, we take the gauntlet for our members and challenge um, other organisations that uh, in one way or another are involved or impact uh, on the fortunes of publishers um, in the online digital publishing world. But ultimately our, our role is, is, is there to, to inform, to educate, to share, to create peer-to-peer -peer environments whereby we are hopefully helping to support uh, publishers uh, to enable safe, secure and sustainable futures as content creators. Okay, so Facebook and Google, who I'm sure we'll go on to talk about later, they're associate members, uh, which is different to uh, obviously a publisher member. What, what's, the different, what is, what's the difference between their membership and say uh, a Telegraph member, uh, being a member? Well, I mean, it, it, it's very different in that we do have tiers to our membership. Um, we have a couple of tiers for publishers that allow us to support um, other publishers who may not be omnipresent within the UK marketplace but do nevertheless have some relationship with this market. So there are international members that we have. Reuters is one obvious example uh, that comes to mind. But we do have this associate level. Um, mm. You asked and touched on briefly the funding of the organisation. Predominantly we're a subscription-led um, business. Okay. But subscriptions alone are not enough to sustain the organisation. So there's an element to what we do which is commercially orientated around some events, for example, that enable our principal members, the publishers, to be connected to the vendors within our industry right. that provide the services. Now, um, as is with my relationship with Google and Facebook, 
Um, our view at the AIP is it's important to have the very best relationship and the most appropriate connections with those organisations that provide services that enable publishers to do what they do. And so that is the premise of our associate membership. Um, it is a, a separate independent tier mm. that does, through, through some of the outputs that we have, have the ability to connect to our publishers, but the principal yeah. outputs that we create are all designed around connecting publishers and they are conducted exclusively for publishers. Okay, so just give us a bit of a, a feel for uh, Google and Facebook. How often will you meet up or how often do they meet up in, um, in, in, with the AOP and the publishers? And, and who, I mean, is that the sort of the big cheeses at Facebook and Google? Is that Nicola Mendelssohn or, or Matt Britton or who are the, who, who are the execs you meet from uh, Facebook and Google? They, they, you know, they are, they are people with whom we've had exposure and connection and um, Ronan um, is, yep. is speaking at our summit in October as an example and Nicola Mendelssohn has been invited to speak at our summit. So. To a degree, um, that, that exposure is of interest, but the real nuts and bolts, the day-to-day, -day, um, are within specific uh, departments within those organisations that have responsibility for supporting or, or, or liaising with the content creator community. And obviously within policy, um, I will also have relationships there um, where we feel that um, policies by um, other organisations that, that are prevalent within our ecosystem are in one way or another or in some possible way compromising um, or creating challenges to, to, to my constituents. So Ronan, that's Ronan Dunn, is it? he's the big cheese, is he the European boss, is he, or is he one of the bosses? I believe he's managing yeah. director UK, but, okay. uh, you know, the, but um, he, he's certainly very important to us in our marketplace, definitely. Okay. And, and to, you know, we do, we, we, we will meet with these organisations um, as is necessary, but yeah. um, um, I'm pleased to say that, again, based on the same principle as, as the associate membership, these people are an important part of, 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 of the day-to-day. -day. They're interwoven throughout the fabric of what every publisher does, and whether it's audience or product development or whether it's commercial, they are a part of our publishers. So we, we try wherever pos possible to have a very positive and open dialogue um, and I think it's important we maintain that dialogue so, so that there is a clear two-way process and, and, and information is fed back to them. Okay, so News UK joining, I mean, lots of stories was linked to the AOP's bid to, um, as sort of alluded to, to clean up the whole digital ecosystem, uh, make it more transparent and accountable, combat ad fraud and tighten up media standards. So obviously there's been some well-documented problems, highlighted by the bad likes of PMG's Mark Pritchard and Uli Leavers. Uh, Keith Weed. So in November last year, you effectively launched this ad quality charter to combat these problems. Can you just explain very briefly uh, the goals behind the ad quality charter? Then? Well, the, the, the ad quality charter is about defining standards, but also um, our ad quality charter specifically was to enable um, our constituents to differentiate from the pack, if you like, otherwise known as the long tail. I think it's, it's very important to understand that um, over the last few years, one of the um, single greatest impacts um, that had a negative effect on publishers was um, a practice whereby advertising and the agencies advising advertisers were um, orientating towards ch chasing audiences mm. at the lowest common denominator okay. and seemed to move away from context and environment and seemed to... Um, not truly understand or, or, or had forgotten the value of that. Um, 
What we, um, what we do as a trade body along with the IAB, ISBAR and IPA is we sit on uh, joint industry committees such as JICWEBS and JICWEBS is ch mm -hmm. charged with the responsibility of helping create and drive standards for our industry around areas such as fraud, brand safety and viewability as, as, as example. Um, as a collective uh, within the industry, we don't want to create any um, unnecessary elitism. I think it's important that everybody is, is in some way or another both governed and protected by similar standards. So naturally, there's a relatively low um, entry point. They are, uh, by JICWEB's own omission, and I sit on the executive board, they are foundation levels. They are the minimum okay. that we expect of an industry. Beyond that, and what seemed to have been um, forgotten, was that for many a year, um, premium content creators such as my constituents operated a far higher standard than anything the industry is asking of it. And we wanted to be able to reiterate that point, to be able to define a difference about those experiences that you can expect with a premium content provider, the safety, the resources, um, and the value of, of what you're buying. So. The Ad Quality Charter was designed to both highlight the need as an industry to be have a collective approach around how we deal with such issues, as well as providing further differentiation for premium content creators um, to be able to demonstrate where they go beyond mm. and how they exceed those standards. So I looked at some of these recommendations, mm -hmm. and so you're basically saying that the publishers are reaching these standards already, so it's just effectively rubber stamping. So I just, for the listeners, I'll just read some of them out. Publishers must be in independently verified for brand safety through the digital trading standards, group good practice principles. Publish publishers must reference the infringing web website list from the City of London Intellectual Property Crime Unit. Publishers must commit to independent verification through the anti-fraud good practice principles. So you're saying that all these, the, your members are already doing this and it's effectively just rubber stamped what already was there? Well, again, I mean, one of your opening questions was what does the AOP do? Um, at the time that we started writing the charter, I couldn't have sat in front of you and told you they were all doing it okay. because there was a limited value in being part of the DTSG um, standard because at the time um, it didn't go far enough to, um, to, to, in order yeah. to be able to differentiate. So I think it's important to stress at that point that yes, they do, do now all do it, but they're now all doing it because through consultation and through being able to feedback publishers' concerns and views about supporting those standards directly to um, the, the, the boards within JICWEBS and DTSG specifically, and with um, consultation with all partners involved, so as an example, that would include vendors such as Google and Facebook, we were able to table and have accepted amendments to those principles mm. that then made it acceptable to publishing organisations to be part of that wider proposition. So Facebook and Google are back in, they're supporting the Ad Quality Charter then? Um, in terms of um, within Google, YouTube do have obviously representation okay. uh, as a vendor within some of those technical groups within it. With regards to whether they're fully participating, that's probably a question you should target mm -hmm. towards JICWEBS, but as, as an executive within that board, what I am aware is that there is continued dialogue with everybody within this ecosystem that is sincere about trying to move the industry forward mm. and to create appropriate standards that provide, provide fairness uh, uh, and transparency 
to our ecosystem. So, of course, they are part of that. But as, um, as I understand currently, I think only YouTube are currently certified for okay. brand safety. So just to be clear, in this charter does mean that marketeers can hire independent companies to check viewability numbers of ads on digital platforms. Obviously in the past, brands like Kellogg have pulled back budgets from major publishers that won't let them hire third party uh, no, I, I, yeah, verification is an important part. I think we've always been open to that, where we've been encouraging publishers. I think in the past, publishers felt that they, as, as, as you say, were operating at a higher standard um, and were able to provide that, that kind of transparency and verification anyway. But obviously, naturally, uh, there is a desire to for, for advertisers and agencies to use third parties. Mm. Publishers more increasingly use independent third parties to verify. So what, what we've always um, provided direction on is that if you are using a third party, then in the very least that third party that you're working with must be independently verified and operating at a minimum standard, which is obviously that, that JIC web standard. So you're confident that the whole digital supply chain is, is getting cleaned up? I mean, it was only recently that Keith Weed referred to it as, as a swamp, so clearly there, there are still challenges to be... Uh, to be met, are they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't think uh, Keith Weed is unjustified in, in, in those comments. And I certainly felt if I was spending multi-million pounds worth of, 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 of uh, or undertaking multi-million pound worth advertising activities, I would be seeking greater assurances. What I would say is that, um, and, and, and I think this is a really important point, you know, there are many things um, that we could improve, um, but in order to get there, you have to start from somewhere, and ideally you start from a point from which, with, with, within which everybody feels that they are able to play or contribute. And I think um, we still have, as is um, inevitable, I'm sure, in any industry, people that are distracting and not necessarily contributing, distracting from the important dialogue and not necessarily contributing as constructively as they might. But I'm, I'm, I'm largely buoyed by the fact that the vast majority of people want to be a part of improving um, our industry. And I think, you know, one thing that I think is quite an important point here is, is that, you know, we refer to it as a nascent industry. But I think what we have to accept is that, that the speed of technology is such that um, that I, I think we are having to contemplate and consider things that we would never have imagined. That because of the pace of technology and the way in which others have, have, have if you like, been able to identify and um, um, maximise their opportunity within that space, we now have um, a situation where we have a gulf, a massive void between what we can do and what we, we, what we now know um, um, is the, the byproduct of what we can do. And um, like never before, we need to continue to sort of analyse what those consequences may be. So, for example, you know, what, we talk about um, legislation as being a, a possible consideration mm. within our industry. And I think... As media owners, we're, we're massively proud of the fact that um, we, for, for many a year, have created standards and um, largely been successful at, at upholding those standards through self-regulation. Um, and the last thing anybody uh, as a media owner would want is, is to see um, um, 
regulation being imposed. However, what type of regulation are you talking about? You talking about Facebook and Google? Now? Well, I, I, I think I think I think really where I talk about a void and a change and something that none of mm. us had ever anticipated is that um, you look at advertising and the relationship with any content that has been distributed through any channel, including outdoor, TV, radio, print, whatever it may be. And one thing that we hadn't anticipated, because it was already always taken um, for granted, is that if you push content out through a channel, you're liable for that content. And I think that um, in the case of you know, Facebook as an example, as a social media platform, and all social media platforms, they're ostensibly predicated on user-generated content. And as such, therefore, they do not have any accountability or liability to that content. So I think there needs to be potentially um, uh, an open-mindedness for, for potential intervention from government bodies or authorities to help redefine what is an acceptable or credible environment to support advertising. And um, not only that, but to, 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 to really evaluate what those risks are. I mean, you know, what, what, one of the reasons that the Keith Weeds and the Mark Pritchards of this world uh, reacted as they did is that um, advertising has become commoditized and through programmatic it's easy to reach audiences at the lowest common denominator so if you're driven by scale and purely scale then then what you're putting at risk is is potentially the quality mm. and i just, think just just going back to the the facebook point i mean it, mm. it is an argument about whether uh, facebook should be liable for the content but i mean it is slightly different i'm not sure where i stand on whether Facebook uh, should be deemed as a publisher because if I if I work as a journalist and say I write a story for a newspaper mm. I'll write a story and then it goes through the eyes of a, an editor mm. and then a sub-editor so that's slightly different isn't it to someone who's just posting something straight away on, on Facebook but I mean that's a tra- 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 traditional publisher isn't it that's slightly different to someone who's I would totally s- agree with you and obviously uh, uh, you know we've all read lots of commentary where people are asking them to confirm whether they're media companies or not and they claim not to be However, they are now significant players within the advertising ecosystem. Mm. And as you know, Mm. uh, having worked for publishers for many a year yourself, the the important point is to understand how um, trustworthy news and information from trained professionals of integrity is delivered. um, And it's delivered with a cost, and it's therefore funded by advertising. So what we have at the moment... Uh, is a situation where the ability to be able to sustain that is in some way compromised by other advertising solutions that are not, if you like, governed or constricted by the same rules that are placed upon curators of original content. Okay, we'll come back to talk about Facebook and Google a bit more. Just very briefly, the Ozone project, which I guess listeners will know, this is the News UK, the Telegraph and the Guardians, basically clubbing together, pooling together their resources. And this is obviously um, being pitched as sort of the, um, uh, the combating uh, Facebook and Google. Um, so, I mean, what's your, I think it's launching in later this year. Correct. I mean, is it, is it going to be a success? And as the AOP, shouldn't they, were you, are you involved in this? Is, is this not something that your members should be involved into? Well, some of those are your members, obviously. The, 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 the three um, organisations that have driven this in, in, initiative and effectively 
the funders, the owners of the uh, ozone project are all members of, of the AOP and they are all members who are very much engaged with the AOP, okay. who we deal with on a regular basis. My, my, my simple response to your initial question is that I applaud the initiative and, um, and I think you know, the first thing that they would say is the initiative has been created out of a response to demand and that demand is to a degree similar to what we've just been discussing which is that, that, that um, advertising brands want to be able to reach audiences mm at scale but they are seeking assurances around the quality of those environments and the context of those environments but as has been a challenge previously which which obviously Facebook um, has, has rather simplified is that to do that at scale across premium publishers such as news organizations mm. um, that requires multiple efforts and multiple conversations and they want to be able to be in a position to be able to buy quality at scale i.e. the newspaper inventory but through one simplified process mm. and one conversation if you like so that is a response to 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 something that the industry has been mm. and the buy side in particular has been uh, driving um, toward for, for some time. So, yeah, but I mean, my point is, I think shouldn't the AOP been coming up with these ideas, you know, long before Project Ozone, which is only launched this year? So it's interesting. So the AOP, and if you interviewed any of our board, will tell you that they're probably bored of me and my repetitive. Um, um, request for these considerations at every board meeting every quarter for the last two or three years since I took over in 2016. What, what you've got to understand is that as I say um, not only do our publishers rep represent diversity with some of which um, have very specialist audiences and therefore a very high demand for their inventory that, that, that doesn't create a great deal of concern for them and therefore in a pragmatic um, point of view, they, 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 they see less okay. appeal to be part of that. But before we move on, the, I think the important thing to say is that, again, we represent all premium uh, sure. content creators. And I think news have probably, news organisations are probably the most affected by, um, by the likes of Facebook and, and other social sure. media channels because many of our publishers operate in specific verticals and um, it's easier to manage um, that, that, that niche and, and, and the point of difference that you can offer. Whereas obviously with news publishers, they're very much competing for scale um, and audiences. And, and in a word, Ozone Project, yes or no, is it going to be a success then? I, I, I very much believe it will be and it's not a yes or no, but if you need one, I'll say yes. Right, okay. okay. Just, just quickly, a bit more on Facebook and Google. Um, brand safety... Um, has YouTube got a handle on it? I mean, we keep repeatedly seeing stories uh, in the press that it hasn't got a handle on it. In fact, I wrote one the other week uh, about it. So do you think it's making... I mean, it's obviously making measures, isn't it? They're doing work with the Met Police too about monitoring uh, drill videos on London gangs. But it seems uh, an unenviable task when uh, users are uploading, I think, 400 hours of videos every minute. So it's difficult to police, isn't it? Well, again, I think, you know... Uh, I think it goes back to our earlier point. I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied that the, the people operating within Google that have a responsibility to um, um, addressing um, the need to apply standards to what they do are sincere about what they're doing and genuine uh, about their approach. However, um, I, like you, um, cannot see how that's um, 
ever going to be manageable on, on that kind of scale of, of user-generated content posted with the frequency that it is in any given 24-hour period, which is why I, I suggest that there is, you know, there is a pragmatic, um, and, and maybe slightly political, but a pragmatic need for um, 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 intervention and debate around um, governance on what is considered acceptable environments of advertising. Earlier, I represent, I, you know, I referenced TV, print, and and and, um, and outdoor. But you know, let, let's in a in the teeniest way, let me just expand on that. You know, there has always been very clear direction on the amount of minutes in any given hour that is acceptable for uh, commercial messaging. There has always been very clear direction about where ads can be seen to appear and the experience in which those ads are delivered. And it's no different, but what we hadn't preempted was that social media would become what it has become. And because of its scale, yes, it is attractive. But what it isn't is, is um, a proposition by which you can apply the controls that you do in any other environment, whether it's offline or online, where in which advertising messages appear, and so that is a concern. Um, uh, just, I mean, whether Facebook and Google are get uh, uh, regulation or not in the UK or overseas, but in in the meantime, uh, uh, Google uh, doing enough to help out your members financially. Yeah, I mean, they obviously give a give publishers a share of advertising revenues when you know you click on news stories but I mean is, is that enough could they do more could they help, help out with the technology or sad well I think I, th- I, th- I think I think you've kind of led to an important point where I think we should differentiate between the two organizations anyway I think obviously where Facebook is concerned yes they do provide tools for publishers and publishers use um, Facebook and other social media platforms to aid with the distribution uh, uh, of their content and the discovery of new audiences but um, you know Google have a, a, a complete technology stack of which um, one way or another every publisher is, is using some aspect of, of, of that um, stacks offering and um, you know what, what I'm what I'm you know very willing to say is that that, that um, we have positive dialogues with all of those organizations and not just Facebook and Google but I you know beyond that snap Spotify other organizations mm. And um, what I do know is that Google um, are, are, are committed and, and, and make available um, from within their organization funds designed to and supposedly destined to help um, um, support publishers with their many challenges. I think that what Google are getting much better at doing, because such is the cynicism of our industry, they have made assumptions in the past around products that they think that would assist publishers and may have been slightly dismayed at the, the lack of enthusiasm when those products are being rolled out. And maybe, maybe that's because there's a, there's a, a defensiveness that is a, an inbuilt cynicism about why does this product exist? I can see it looks quite a good idea, but surely this is all, all part of a big, bigger game plan of Google's to to find another way to get our data. And, you know, over over years, um, the last two or three years, certainly since I've been in, involved with AAP, um, we've tried to support Google wherever possible to help get um, um, into that dialogue with publishers where it's an honest um, mm. feedback. And we, we, on a quarterly basis, with both Google and Facebook, aside from our... Um, 
uh, our, our calendar outputs. We have um, Chatham House meetings where publishers are invited into those organisations um, where we can sit and chew the fat mm. for an hour or two about many of, uh, many of the, the, the tool sets that we are able to work with and feed back to them ideas that we have um, um, for consideration for future tool sets that may help or assist publishers in what they do. So um, to suggest anything else other than a positive dialogue would be wrong, but to, um, to, to, to also imply that um, everything can be improved on is fair because... Um, I think, are you saying that Google are easier to work with? They're doing more than them, Facebook, or are you differentiating? I, I, th I think the, the, the amount of, um, uh, of, of the, the depth of the relationship um, with Google because of their technology stack may be deeper than perhaps it is with Facebook for some publishers. But no, um, for us, for the AOP, we listen to our members and I would suggest that they, they consider um, um, across their services a, a healthy relationship with those organisations to be of equal importance. Okay, let's, we're running out of time, we've got two big subjects to, to, to crack on with. Uh, domain spoofing, uh, which I know DigiDay has been writing an awful lot about. So in a nutshell, domain spoofing is a practice where fraudsters pass off low quality inventory as high quality uh, inventory on a premium site. So I think News UK and the FT have both done experiments on this. News UK conducted a, a programmatic blackout test for two hours in December last year, and they found nearly three million bids per hour were made on fake inventory purporting to be Sun and Times news brand. And according to DigiDay, News UK estimated that marketeers are wasting £700,000 on domain spoof inventory every month. Um, so it's a big problem. Um, yeah, I, and I, I think you're underreporting those numbers. I, I believe it was even higher than that. Okay. But um, it, it, it is a problem, and I think it's, again, one of those examples where um, everybody within the industry is trying to come together to identify what the best solution is, and I think that... Can you just explain to listeners uh, who's responsible then? Who's, I mean, who's, where does the... Well, I think everybody within the ecosystem, within the supply chain, has a responsibility. Yeah. I think that um, if you start um, with those that are spending the money, yeah. uh, the advertiser, through the agencies that invariably they charge um, with managing that advertising activity, you know, they, they need to make um, sure that they are implementing um, every potential um, solution that exists to identify where um, fraud may be occurring. Um, um, and all the way through that supply chain, the technology vendors that are then delivering the ad message through to the publishers that supports it, we, we need to all um, ensure that, again, um, we, we adopt everything that is available to us to ensure that, that, that we are addressing the problem however I mean that and that is ba basically by my own omission a, a pretty wishy-washy answer the, sim the simple fact is that um, if you think about it uh, Integra Science for example have identified yeah. four different levels of, of, okay. of complexity within this some of them are very easy to manage others right. are very complex add to this the equation that if you were a fraudster or a criminal of some kind sure. Um, you've got to consider the motivation to become uh, to 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 to, um, 
to undertake activities within um, um, okay. digital and online publishing because it's almost the perfect crime, because it's untraceable. What I would say is using ads.txt is a starting yeah. point that will help identify domains and compare addresses. There are reported teething problems with people inputting that data or or, or, mm. or, 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 or um, translating that data inappropriately. Um, it does impact then on, on, on advertising spend that's reaching the publishers because it, it doesn't happen at all if there's inconsistencies and in, in how those things are being logged. But again, everybody, including the industry bodies that represent advertising and vendors like the IAB, advertisers like ISBAR, publishers like the AOP, the agency communities like the IPA, we are in collective dialogues to make recommendations and are constantly looking to try to improve to get to a point where, um, as idealistic as it would sound, that we would eradicate fraud. But as you mm. I mean, saw in our ad quality charter, the fraud that occurs within premium publishing is, is, is with in premium publisher environments is much lower than anybody thinks, and therefore, you know, we've made recommendations within there on how publishers respond to any fraud that is identified in terms of the way they compensate from publishers. So again, I think premium content providers are able to set uh, aside um, their proposition from that of a generic. Um, mm. Um, just, just to be clear, so all your members will be suffering similar levels of, of fraud, will they? Or, I mean, is, is, it does that varies. Seem, does that seem very typically harmed? No, no, no. It varies. I think. I think it very much varies on the type of um, 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 audiences uh, you are serving, um, the oh. volume of those audiences, mm. uh, and so forth. And what's been the response from the, the brands involved? Then, I mean, are, are they threatening, or what have they said about the whole thing? Then, the fact that they're wasting all this money. Well, I, I think I think that again, you know, that's that's not that's not something really that that, that I consider to be a, a real question in this instance because they are they are part of it. Right, okay. They have as much responsibility to contribute yeah. um, to okay. their part of ensuring that um, everything is um, recorded and and transparent um, um, as everyone does. I think I think one of the problems is that that. that that our industry is, is opaque at the best uh, uh, at times. Mm. And um, because of, um, and for whatever reason, without going into any detail about training practices or standards relating to that, we still, we still have a challenge about um, the ability for us to have a single complete distribution record um, um, regarding each individual transaction and until we get to a point where we can see exactly how that money right. is distributed to the daisy yeah. chain uh, other parties if you like that are involved as third parties mm. to assist in the delivery of that ad um it, it, it it's it's virtually impossible to completely address the problem right okay so that's not an optimistic outlook for the future then although you're making inroads you don't think you know you're going to get a solution in the short term anyway. well I you know um, we've had laws about nobody um, driving cars with mobile phones for a very long time but it's not always going to put everybody off okay. I think the most important thing is we've touched on words and use words like differentiate and so forth 
what I'm saying is that the, 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 the genuine actors within our industry and our ecosystem are keen to move to standards that make it harder for fraudulent activity and for imposters and bad actors. And the reality is we've got to continue on that journey and move in that direction. And things like GDPR actually yeah. have provided quite a natural filter on pretenders out there. We've seen a number of vendor organisations okay. um, suddenly um, be removed from the ecosystem as a result of GDP, GDPR as a deterrent. So um, to do nothing would be irresponsible and stupid. To do something is better than nothing, but I'm confident that we are moving to a future where, as we understand uh, our relatively nascent industry, as we begin to be better educated about the impact yeah. of the technology that we are creating and what that um, enables, uh, we will be better at dealing with it. We'll do GDPR next time. Finally, we are running out of time. Ad blocking, there was lots of stories a few years ago about ad blocking. I remember City AM banning readers who were using ad blocking software and access, accessing its content. I think the FT had trialed a similar type restrictions. What are ad blocking levels like today? Are they increasing or is it plateaued? Or? We're seeing an increase across mobile, um, but pretty much uh, plateaued across desktop. But it's not to suggest there isn't a problem. It's still high. The median loss for publishers uh, across our membership, where we conduct an audit and continue and will continue to conduct audits on a quarterly basis, are showing a median loss of around uh, 600,000. We've got publishers losing as much as 2 million plus over the course of the year to ad blocking. As more inventory is being created, the, 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 whilst the actual levels have plateaued according mm. to our desktop number, there is actually more inventory available now, so we are seeing potentially a greater loss of income. It is something we will continue to focus on. Again, ironically, um, the need to acquire consent and to be transparent upon the purposes uh, for which anybody will be using personal data uh, of mm. a user engaged with our content means that the, the, the the, the explanation of the value exchange to help educate and understand the user on what uh, enables them to have access to this quality original content for free um, are aligned. So I think that the GDPR education will help further assist the ad blocking education. And, and, and finally, what, what's the best advice? I mean, I mentioned City AM. They um, they ban uh, ban readers uh, I think um, although there's Forbes who I looked at which which introduced the idea of rewarding those who turned off their ad blocking software with a, a sort of ad light experience so they didn't get all the auto playing video ads is that, is that there's is no that? one size fits all what we saw across our publishers was that they all experimented with different. Um, types of approach to this and some for them worked better than others but I think it depends whether your audience is uh, predominantly youth or technology orientated for example so um, there is no one size fits all but I do think that what we have got to is um, a point where people are much clearer about um, the way in which they will succeed is through listening to their consumers and engaging in a dialogue with their consumers and educating their consumers on what is a very fair and reasonable value exchange. Right, Richard, we're going to have to go. Uh, Very comprehensive. Next up, we've got uh, Dominic Williams. So stay listening. Thank you. Uh, Dominic Williams, who has got a new job. He's the Executive Director, Advertising for Mail Metro Media. Thanks very much for joining me, uh, Dominic. Congratulations on the job. So the backdrop to this 
is there's been a merger at uh, DMGT, Daily Mail Group. Uh, so effectively what's happened, the uh, sales team for the, the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday and the Mail Online have merged with the sales team of the Metro brand. So what's the, can you give us a bit of colour and a bit of detail about the thinking behind the merger? Yeah, well, th- thanks for your kind words. Um, I'm very excited about my new role. Um, it's um, uh, something which, as I said to Trade Press a few weeks ago, uh, a few uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm very excited about this role working with an amazing team. Yeah. I think the reason why we merged is because of the demand uh, from clients wanting to talk to one audience, one voice, okay. um, and it just simplifies it. Um, as you know, I used to work on agency side, and I used to find it quite. Uh, um, interesting that the Metro was sitting in a, diff- in a different floor to the Mail and uh, the Mail Online brands. So I think it's um, it's making lives for agencies and clients a lot more easier. So um, really exciting times here. Okay. So when did you just give the listeners a bit of feel? You've been you said you've been at agencies a while. So you yep. joined the Mail was it about a year, a year ago? ago. Yeah. So obviously twenty years at Dentsu Aegis Network. Uh, on the Amplify brand um, and led all, all the trading there yeah. with my colleague Matthew Platt um, yeah. uh, who I know you know well um, and he so we've been here a year now okay so okay so effectively you're heading up the the digital side of things and Grant Woodthorpe is heading up the the print side of things you mentioned it's easy for agencies I think you've had yeah. some good feedback yeah. uh, I guess also there's an argument that it's uh, uh, it could cut, cut costs. Has there been any, the story I read that said it could be uh, around 20 jobs at risk. No. Has there been any significant job no. cuts because of the merger? No, not at all. In terms of anything, it's it's making um, lives more a lot more um, easier in terms of okay. efficiencies with trading, for example, because it's a joined up approach with the mail, metro and the digital assets. Um, the one bit you missed out, which I'm in charge of, is the um, now the partnerships uh, side of the business across all our disciplines and also our client relationships. So okay. I work with um, a lot of experienced people, Mel, Mel Danks yeah. and Shooter, and you know I've known Grant for over twenty years. So that is very it's it's a very comfortable relationship between both of us. And what's uh, you sort of touched on it there, Don? <clears> but and what's the advantage of having a separate digital and print team? Because before I think you had a unified team. Didn't yeah, you? no. So so it, they are currently you know they are separate, but you know they sit next to one another. Okay. It's yeah. really working on the, you know, what our offering is in the digital marketplace, also what the print marketplace, but also a very joined up approach. Yeah. Grant and I are going to the market in a joined up approach and our teams are working really closely together as well as the partnerships team. So it's, it's still separate, but it is still one voice for the market to make it simpler, to make it more um, efficient and effective for our advertisers and clients. And so far, yeah. you know, God, it's only been a few days now. So far, <laughs> yeah. so far, so good in terms okay. of what people have said about Grant and I working together going forward. Okay, that's good. So, so Claire Rush, who obviously, uh, I guess a lot of people listening to this will know, she oversaw the, the merger of the team. Mm. Uh, she's gone, had different stories about that. Uh, she's left of her own accord, though, has she? Or? Yes, she has. And uh, um, Claire's, uh, uh, obviously, Claire employed me. Yes. Uh, we've known one, you know, I've known Claire for, again, Okay. 18, 20 years sure. and it's you know from our agency background so uh, we wish her well for the future yeah okay and uh, I guess another interesting facet to this all is that you've um, you're now going to be reporting into Martin Clark 
the, yeah. the publisher of Mail Online, yeah. who was, he was one of the execs who was actually tipped to be a uh, possible candidate for the new editor of the Daily Mail, uh, replacing Paul Dacre. And from my understanding, the Mail Online is very much his baby. Um, but he also has a reputation as someone who is, is quite fiery and volatile. Um, maybe people may have said the same about you, Dominic, in the past. But yeah. is he someone you're looking forward to to working with, or do you have any apprehension about you know someone no, with not, a big reputation? Like no, that? no, not a, not at all. I, I, maybe I did have a bit of a reputation in the day um, back in the TMD Cara days as a print and radio buyer and, and latterly um, TV. Um, no, I, I've got a very good relationship with Martin. Um, he's obviously the global lead. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to our, us working together. And you've already started, you've already, you're reporting into him already then. So yeah. I mean, you've established a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And just to be clear, this is a merging of the, of the commercial operations and there's yes. no plans for editorial or, you know, creeping in with back, back office merger or anything like that. Um, no, not that I know of, no. Okay, and I mean another sad angle to this is um, for years. I mean, me working as a journalist, there's always you always seem to see a story in the Sunday papers about the, the DMGT possibly selling uh, Metro. Yeah. Uh, but I guess this would uh, arguably counteract that, which shows that you know Metro has been more um, sort of brought into the fold. Of, of, totally, of, of, totally, and, it, and it's for me this is great news because we can hit. Over seventy percent of all uh, adults, in, from an audience point of view, every single day, it's yeah. it's great that we can talk to um, our clients about the Daily Mail uh, and also Metro and also the Mail on Sunday and Mail Online and Metro.co.uk and our relationships with other partners in the mm. marketplace. So you know, so I think that's probably squashed that rumor in the marketplace. But you know, this we've got a now a great news story which you, you may have mentioned about. Geordie Gregg later on coming on. We've got yeah. a we've got a new narrative coming into the marketplace, so it's very very positive from from where we're coming from. Uh, yes, I do know about Geordie Gregg. I think he's jo- joining soon. Okay, and, and the other interesting uh, dynamic to this is there is a bit of change in the newspaper market at the moment. So you've obviously got Reach. You've obviously yeah. got this merger of the. Uh, the Mirror and the Express titles. Yeah. Is, that, is, that, is, that, is that a threat? Is that something that keeps you awake at night? Or? Um, it doesn't keep me awake at night. Uh, my kids keep me awake at night. Um, and my wife keeps me awake at night in terms of I, where I am um, and, and trying to track me. Uh, what keeps me up all, uh, at night would be something like... Um, Global Radio, they're very good in the marketplace. Um, right. ITV, they've got their gig together over the last few years from a client point of view, an audience's point of view. Um, and they've had some changes down there, which I think is good. So reached um, they're, they're a competitor, obviously. Mm. So um, And there's some good guys down there. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, they, they definitely don't keep me up uh, at, at night. Okay. Um, but I think it has, has, has actually merged... Already, have, have, have uh, they have they moved into the same buildings? Because it's all been signed off. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe there's a few more editorial changes. I think that some right. of the editors maybe still change. I'm not sure on the commercial side, but yeah. I mean, there's also the the ozone uh, project, which yeah. has got a lot of coverage in the trade press. So this is the the pooling together of digital inventory across the uh, the Guardian, News UK, the publisher of the Sun, uh, the and the Times, and the Telegraph. Yeah. Um, were you asked? Was the, was the mail was asked, asked to be part of this, or slightly before my time? Um, but I know there's been conversations. But I, I want to be really positive about ozone because um, it's it's good for publishers. Um, and if we think it's a good idea, and, and I'm very for it, it's not my decision, but I'm very uh, pro it. 
is I'd like to sit down and have a conversation with them. But it it's it's has to work for all parties. But if if it's positive for publishers and it's right for us and right working with you know we've got a good relationship with News UK, Tim, uh, the Telegraph and the Guardian groups. Mm. If we think it's right, we will definitely have a conversation. Um, but I think it's a positive thing. All these initiatives um, mm. um, in a tough marketplace. You know we're in a very very tough marketplace. Um, but a very exciting and ever-changing marketplace. So th- I, my, my view, my personal view, I'm very positive it, but it, it's, it's not my decision. Yeah, okay. So if it was your decision, you'd actively pursue trying to... Have a conversation, uh, well, have, have yeah, a conversation yeah, about definitely, it. Definitely. And, it, you know, uh, other people in this organisation were talking to them about that, so it wasn't me, so now I'm, I'm probably party to that conversation. And you think it, you, you're positive that it will be a, a success? I think there's some... So. Obviously, it's not yeah. launched yet, is it? But, no. I mean, I think newspapers in the past um, have tried things similar, haven't they? And they've not Project got Rio. The, not what's got the other the one? Um, um, well, the name escapes it. But, yeah, I mean, there's been a few occasions. And there's also, yeah. I guess, the idea, if they were so confident it's been a success... I don't, they're keeping their existing sales teams, aren't they? If, if they were so confident, couldn't they just have this yeah. new sales team and get? But I'm looking forward to seeing how, how it pans out. But as I said, you know, I, I hope it's a success. Okay, um, so just uh, had a quick look at the um, uh, the latest figures for DMGT. So revenues for combined mail, newspaper, and website. This is a Daily Mail and Mail on Sunday, Mail Online. We're down four percent to eight hundred million in the half year. So this is a long-standing trend of declining print advertising revenues, which was partly offset by revenue growth of Mail Online. So Mail Online is still this juggernaut, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think ABC figures for June still rank it as number one oh. with uh, nearly thirteen million daily unique browsers. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you sustain that growth? Uh, I mean, obviously it's plateauing now, isn't it? And it's tailing no, off. No, I, I, I think. You know, um, it's coming from a huge base. It's, it, it, I believe it's going to grow again. You know, it's a really, it's amazing. Uh, the Mail Online and Metro.co.uk, amazing traffic. The scale is huge. It's hitting loads of audiences. Um, it's, you know, it's number one in terms of the most frequent returning visitors and most hourly spent reading it. Mm. But it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely got, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very confident that uh, it, it offers our clients the reach, the scale, and also um, hits all the KPIs. So, um, um, you know, I'm excited. You know, we, 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 we reach, I think it was out, out today, in one in four yeah. papers bought in the UK is, is the Daily Mail, you know, which is, which is good. I know you were talking about Mail Online, but yeah. it's, it's good. Okay, so and just give the audience a bit of a feel. I know this is a relatively new job, but uh, you're obviously based in London. Yep. In the Mail Online, commercially, have they got people in, in the in the US, Australia? Yeah, so New York and Australia, and we have a worldwide team based in London. Okay, so, uh, yeah. So you'll be, I guess, part of your remit will be you'll be going to see this. Will you be no, getting out on no, about? No, hundred percent UK. Right. And that is exactly what I've um, <laughs> said to my wife. Right. And uh, uh, as we're on air, John, I can't. Uh, I can confirm it's 100% London. Okay, I mean, and Manchester, so UK. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so another. I mean, obviously, Facebook and Google. We've talked a lot about on this podcast. So earlier this year, there were these well-documented changes to Facebook's newsfeed, which is effectively deprioritizing news at the expense of postings from friends and family. Uh, Mail Online, like a lot of newspapers, took a bit of a, a hit in the latest figures. I mean, how much of a concern is that for you? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that. Yeah, right. I'm not going to comment Why on that. Why is that? Is there a reason for that? Nope, no reason. Just not going to comment on that. Uh, right, okay. Um, okay, we're not commenting on that. Okay, so, I mean, 
aside from newspapers, I, I think we listeners will be interested in. Um, well, there's two other questions. Um, obviously, we mentioned you came from a media agency yeah. background. Yeah. Um, over the past few years, lots of talk about um, how media agencies need to change, need yeah. to adapt. Yeah. I mean, what's your take on some of the the struggles and some of the challenges? How do you think they need to change and adapt themselves? Yeah, I think. Um, agencies have changed you know, everyone's talking about they need to change agencies have been changing for the last 20 years yeah. um, because consumers have changed clients have changed um, it's really um, uh, again it's exciting but tough times for agencies it's tough t- times for consumers the agencies models you know you, you, you in my past role we, we've experimented with different types of structures yeah. but it's it's in line with what, what the clients are asking um, us to do or asking the agencies to do so it, it will be it will always be evolving mm. it will always be changing uh, the models that will differ by networks the models will differ by agencies um, and but it is all depending on what the what the clients are asking. You know, the clients are changing all the time their strategies. The mm. clients are changing their their priorities. And it's and and what agencies and I think what agencies do do really really well. And we definitely did it really well at Aegis is that we adapted to the change of the environment and adapted to a change of client mm. needs. And so the future is really positive for agencies because they've, everyone keeps on saying that agencies have to change in the last, you know, mm. the last three months. But no, they've been changed, as I, as I alluded to, for 20 years. Um, and like any organisation, mm. it has to be um, correct for today's society. It has mm. to be correct for today's environment and it has to be forward thinking. And so agencies uh, play a huge part in um, the media landscape with clients. So, I mean, there's lots of talk about people in-housing and sidestepping media agencies, but yeah. you think the, the people there uh, have still got skills and qualities that can't be... You Very know, much still, so. Still needed. Very much so, because they, they forget about the leverage and scale they use in the marketplace to, to buy... Uh, media on all media channels mm. they um, and I, and I, I won't ma- mention the clients but there were a couple of clients who took some media in house and within 12 months one of them came running back mm-hmm. and just went this this is we, we, we don't have the skill set we don't have the time we don't have the the knowledge and and so I'm you know agencies have got a uh, a fundamentally they've got a uh, important role to play in the media mix okay and last couple of questions because yeah. you're very busy yeah uh, lots to talk to about consultancies coming into that territory are they i mean what, what's your take on that are they, a, are they a threat or is it inevitable that you know because they're so big that they will have success in media or yeah i think there is a threat um i think um there's but it could be an opportunity it could be uh uh an opportunity to work in a, in a different in a different uh, manner but consultancies are not new they've been around for a long time mm. um so it's it, it's it, you know it's not new um and but it but it could be described as, as, as a threat okay and last question we did touch on this before i didn't follow up you mentioned a new editor coming in geordie greg yep. uh, i think he starts in september i think it's perceived to be a bit more uh, liberal-minded than Paul Baker. I mean, I get this is an editorial question, really, but yeah. does this have any impact commercially? I know in the past few years there's been examples of brands 
uh, pulling ads from the mail, we have Paper Chase and, yeah. and Virgin Trains. Yeah. Does, does a new editor, okay, I guess it's too early to say really how much is going to change the paper, but it won't have any significant impact with it commercially? I think it's too early to say. Sure. Um, um, I think it will be a fresh perspective across the board, um, but obviously Paul Dacre has done a phenomenal job over the last uh, few decades, and um, we're looking forward to working with Geordie Close. Obviously, we work with him from with the Mail on Sunday, yeah, sure. so we know him. Yeah, sure. I knew him from um, the Conde Nast days and the Evening Standard oh, days. Really? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, excite. As I said earlier, it's a really exciting times at uh, 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 here. So, um, we're looking forward to the future. Brilliant. Okay, that's great, Dom. Thank okay, you very much. Really good to see you again, John. Oh, great.